we're thanking God for the Word. Thanking God for the Word, that He's a God that speaks to us. Knows what you're going through tonight, knows whatever it is you're facing. I'll tell you a secret. He knows things you're going to face you don't know you're going to face. And if we learn to listen to Him, He'll have us prepared before it comes. Because it's not God's will that you go through some of the difficult things you go through, but because we don't listen. So praise the Lord. So we're going to pray as we get into this, Father. Again, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we turn to your word, we're asking you to take this living word and to speak into our lives. Father, I'm asking you to take this word and the spirit of God who lives in me to quicken in me the word that needs to be heard by all of us tonight. And for that, we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We've been, whoops, that's Sunday notes, Sunday's notes. (laughs) I already did that one. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And we're in a series called Learning to Walk by Faith and Not by Sight. And as we were, that's the key verse right there, that's our signature verse. And as we were uh, doing praise and worship tonight, This just became very real to me because this is not just something so that you can get a Cadillac. This is not just something even so you can receive your healing. Everything we do with God has to be by faith. And the context in which Paul writes this is about about heaven. It's about walking in the hope that God has provided for us when you can't see it. Everything God has for us comes out of that spirit realm. And to know it and to receive it, we have to learn to walk by faith but the other half of this is not by sight. And so we talked a little bit about this last week. Let's go to the next verse, which is, which is back in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, verse 18. And this is what precedes this, and we talked about this last week. For we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. That's still an amazing statement. Because what he's telling us is, and I've go, said this many times, he's telling us not to look at things that can be seen. And by seen, it's not just physically with your eyes. It's anything that your five senses, one or more of them, can detect. So that even if my eyes closed, I'm seeing that the pulpit's here because I can feel it. So it's anything that's in this material realm, this natural material realm, which is what we deal with most of the time. It's where we live most of the time. If you're sitting there tonight and you've got some aches and pains, those are seen or they're felt. And, and we're, we deal a lot of the struggle of faith is what we talked about last night. It's learning to not look at things that can be seen. Now, that's easy in one sense, you just close your eyes. But there's some things it's hard to close your eyes to. It's hard to close your eyes to pain. And we heard some testimonies of pain last week. It's hard to close your eyes to financial struggles when you're getting bills or phone calls. And we looked at that. And how do you do that? Uh, Others, emotional things we looked at. We had some sharings from the congregation about some of the battles of, of the pressures that come against us in our senses. And how do we not look at those things when we're living with them and they're talking to us all the time. So we've looked at that, but you can't just not, God doesn't, God doesn't deal in negatives. God deals in positives. So if He tells you not to do something, He's going to turn around and tell you what to do in place of it. In Philippians 4, 6, it says that we are not to be, we're not to be anxious about anything. 
Okay, great. Don't be anxious. But then he tells us what to do. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. So instead of being anxious about situations, go talk to God and make your requests to Him instead of being anxious about it. So He tells you something to do, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. So when He tells us not to look at the things which are seen, but then what we are to do, we are to look at things that are not seen. So we're not just to walk around blindly in life, but we're to be focusing on and looking at certain things. Now, this is kind of a strange statement, and I've used this example before, because it's easy to not look at things that are seen. Just close your eyes. You put your head in the sand. You pretend it's not there, as a lot of people do with, with, with financial trouble. There was a woman once that I, we was counseling here. This is years ago. She doesn't go here anymore. They moved away. And she said, well, Pastor, I've got some financial challenges. I said, okay, tell me about them. She says, every time I got a bill for the last year and a half, I put it in a drawer. I mean, she didn't open them. She just took the envelope. She didn't want to look at them. She just, this is a bright woman. She just stuck them in a drawer. Okay, well, she didn't look at them. She, she wasn't being moved by what she saw, but she was avoiding it. And that's never faith. Faith doesn't avoid things. Faith faces things. Because God is truth. And God only deals in truth and in the light. Satan's the one that deals in darkness and in shadows. So, so when we hide things, when we don't want to face things, we're, we're, we're really trying to take the control in our hands and say, I can't handle this, so I'm going to not look at it. But what I've learned to do, because I was raised, I was taught how to do that as a kid. So I've had to learn how to overcome it, and sometimes I still slip. But what's helped me is to realize I don't have to face those things alone. Even if it's something I've done wrong and I've got to go face it and deal with it, God in me is there to help me face it if I'm willing to face it. If I'm not willing to face it, then I'm cutting him out of the situation. That was free. That wasn't part of the message tonight. So, But we're to look instead at things that are not seen. And the things that are not seen are the promises of God. The things that are not seen are what's in God's kingdom, because in God's kingdom you can't see His kingdom with these eyes, but that doesn't mean it's not real. And so we're going to look at this tonight, and then if we have time, we'll, we'll get into an example about this. So it goes on to say, and here's why. For the things that are seen are temporary. That means whatever you're going through right now, Whatever physical issue you're going through right now, I mean, if, if you've been given, if you've been given six months, to, six months to live, it's a temporary problem. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen to you? You're going to die. Isn't that our blessed hope? We all come to church, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day it'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going. Oh, no! <laughs> it really comes down to what do you believe. I mean, it's humorous, but Smith Wigglesworth, I've read his biography a number of times, and, and there's a point later on in his life when his wife shared with him, his precious wife to him, uh, she was a fiery preacher too, she shared with him, she said, you know, Smith, which is what she called him, she said, my desire is, is, is to go in the pulpit to die in the pulpit. And I don't remember how much long later uh, he gets to go by. She went to preach because she, she was a um, uh, Salvation Army preacher. She went to do a meeting at night 
And exactly that, in the middle of the preaching, she went home to be with the Lord, and they came to tell her that, and they were expecting him to grieve. Now, if you've lost a loved one and you've grieved, I understand there's nothing wrong with that. But his perspective is, why would I grieve? I love her, and she's exactly where she wants to be. Our perspective, again, if you've lost somebody, I understand. There's no condemnation for that. But it shows that our full perspective yet is not where it needs to be, where Paul's was. We're still living this life and holding on to this life, and this life is, the Bible says, a hand's breath. It goes quickly. So the things that are seen, the things you're dealing with, they're temporary. I mean, if you're around for 80 years, the worst it can be is 80 years. But compared to eternity, compared, I heard one person say, you know, as they were getting older, you know, what's 80 years? And that's getting closer, come to think of it. What's 80 years compared to eternity? Did it go fast? Yeah, 72 has gone fast. 50 years of marriage is, where to go? So time goes fast. So why are we, why are we moaning over things? Why are we, whatever you're going through, it's not going to last forever unless you're going to hell. Unless you don't have things right with God, that does last forever. But if you're in Christ, nothing you go through here will last forever. So we need to, we need to measure how much effort we're putting into it. If you go into a deep depression when the Patriots lose, your perspective's wrong. I went to, I worked in Oklahoma when we were finished Bible school and I worked in a law office and out there, football's religion. And when, when, when Oklahoma University lost, there were people in the office that, I mean, they went in depression. They'd stay home. They'd call in sick. They couldn't function because a college football team lost a football game. If that's what your life's based around, you need to come forward at the end of the service and get saved. But the things that are not seen, they're eternal. And we spend so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our focus on things that ultimately are temporary. They're important. Feeding your family, having a house to live in, being healthy. There's not, those things are important. But we need to measure how much effort am I putting into those things and how little effort am I putting into e- eternal things. Eternal things. So we've looked at last week about not looking at the things that are seen. We've talked to different people in the congregation and how they handle it. Tonight I want to begin to, how do you look at things that are not seen? So to do that, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. One of the greatest sections in the Bible on faith. Everybody okay? All right. Make sure you're awake. Romans chapter 4. Now, we've talked over the last few sessions. It covered more than a few weeks because I had uh, others speaking during uh, August. But we've covered some of the heroes of faith as an example. Last week, we looked at the greatest hero, which, of course, is Jesus. And we looked at a contrast between how Jesus handled situations, what he looked at, and therefore what he was moved by and what he wasn't moved by. And then we looked at the disciples and how they were very much moved by what they saw. But the very first 
person we looked at was Abraham. We looked at him as an example. And we're going to go back there, but we're going to just look at a limited section of Scripture. Because as I was meditating on this this morning, it just really came clear to me to talk about this tonight. So we're going to start in verse 17. As I'm going to read down through in verse 22, and then go back and break it down. Um, as it is written, that's the Scripture, I have made you, this God speaking, a father of many nations, in the presence or the sight of him whom he believed, who is God. And then he tells us what he believed about God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Now, some of you have translations that say he considered his own body. I'll explain that to you when we get there. Because they're not, they're the same thing. And that takes some explanation. Who um, did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened or grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced or fully persuaded that what he, God, promised, he was also able to perform. And we'll stop there. So I want to go through and break this down, because we're talking about what did Abraham look at? And what did he not look at? When we went through Abraham as a hero of faith, we basically talked about what he did not look at. He was not moved by the fact that he was a hundred years old. He was not moved by the fact that Sarah was barren. He was not moved by the, by these facts, which were real facts that he looked at every day. I mean, when he rolled over in the morning, there she is. You know? And I'm sure she may have been fine, but she could not, she could not bear babies. And he was past that stage of life. And then God promises to them, not only are you going to have a child, but you're, not, you're going to be a father of nations, many nations. See, God thinks big. And he couldn't find one child. In fact, when God first spoke it to him, he says, what are you going to do for me since I don't have any children and Eleazar, my servant, is now my heir? Because the practice then was in order to carry on the name, in order to have an inheritance, if you had no male child, you would, you, you would adopt one of your servants and then they would be your male heir. And that was obviously Abraham's plan. And God had other plans. And we talked about it took Abraham a while to build his faith up to believe for this, and if you could really see those circumstances, you could understand why. But I want to look tonight at what was it that Abraham actually believed. And there's three elements to this. I wish I'd taken the time to do a PowerPoint, but I didn't think of it until tonight. The first thing, let's go back to verse 17. As it is written. See, it's easy to read over those words. As it is written, this is God's word. This I have made you a father of many nations. That comes out of Genesis 17. So Abraham, first of all, has a promise from God. 
Everything with God starts with His Word, a promise from Him. If you don't have a promise or a word from God, you can have all the faith. You have nothing to put your faith into. By the way, there's no such thing as blind faith. That's stupid. Faith has to be in something. And faith is simply in God's Word. So God's Word to Abraham was, I have made you a father of many nations. Now at the time that specific promise was made, Abraham was probably about, I think, 90 years old, if I remember correctly. Notice the, notice the tense God uses. It's going to be another 10 years at least before the first child shows up. But notice God doesn't say, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Notice God doesn't say, someday this is going to happen and I'm just looking forward to it. What God is saying here is, Abraham, as far as I'm concerned, I've made you a father of many nations. It's very important because faith, we talked about this earlier on in this series, the difference between faith and hope. We talked about what faith is and what faith is not. And one of the things we said it's not, faith is not hope. We're going to see hope in a minute. Hope is future tense. Faith is now. Faith believes I have it now even though I can't see it because I'm not walking by what I see. I'm walking by what God said. And here God says, as for me, as far as I'm concerned, from my side, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, Abraham has a choice. Is he going to believe what God says, or is he going to believe what his senses tell him? And notice it says, as it is written, so it was, it was in the Scriptures, I have made you, this is God speaking, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence, that also means in the sight of him whom he believed. So in God's sight, we're looking at what we see. What God sees is many nations coming out of Abraham. God always sees the future. He may talk to you today, and He may talk... To, I was sharing with several people this week. God will give you vision sometime. And we expect it's going to happen tomorrow or next week because we think God's in a big hurry. But let time in God's hands. Because very often that vision God's given you, nothing happens for quite a while. And one of the reasons is because if it started to happen right away, we jump right in and help him do it. But he'll show it to you, then very often nothing happens, and then down the road suddenly it begins to happen, and you realize, whoa, I guess I did hear from God, and now you realize it was God that did it and not you. So God's looking in the future, but in God's eyes is what this is saying. So from God's perspective, what God sees is this is done. It's done now, there's another example of that over in uh, Joshua 8 when the children of Israel get into the promised land and they get right up to the city Jericho and they got a problem because Jericho is surrounded by a wall that is so wide they used to run chariot races on the top of it. And so, so, so Joshua is out on a field opposite the city trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do, but he was smart. He asked God what to do. And an angel appears to him. And the angel says to him, See. Remember we're looking at what we look at. We look not at the things that are seen. And now this angel is saying, See. Here God says to him, In, the, in my sight, 
I have made you, in my view, I've made you a father of many nations. In Joshua 6, I think it's in 6, this, this angel, this angel of the army of God says, See, I have given you the city. The angel says, I've given you the city. Joshua looks over there, and the chariots are still racing around the top. He's got a choice of what he's going to believe. So we're learning to look not at the things that are seen, which is the problem. Look not at the wall with the chariots running around it. Look not at your at, at, at Sarah, whose womb was dried up. Look not at yourself in the mirror. You're dried up. There's no way this is happening in the natural. But don't look at that. Look at what God's seen. Look at what God says. And that's what this is about. Now we're going to look. But what is it about God? And here's one of the keys here. People say, well, we have faith in God. What about God are you supposed to have faith in? That He's God? Well, that won't help you much. Do we have faith that God's in heaven? That's good. But what about God do we know? What, see, this is where people are trying to sometimes get more faith. Get to know God better and you'll automatically have faith. When I meet someone for the first time, unless it's a casual situation, and I'm in a situation now where I'm, I'm discussing some things back and forth with people, and I don't know how much I can trust them. So I don't just automatically trust everything they say. There's still enough lawyer in me, Richard. <laughs> so I want to test them out and see if they'll do what they say. The more I learn about them, the more I know whether I can trust them or whether I can't trust them. You understand? You go through the same thing. You get somebody that you just, you know, I've got a good friend of mine. He's wonderful. got a big heart. But 90% of the things he says, he never does. So I love him. I love him. He's a friend of mine. But I don't bank on what he's going to say. It's because I know him. So faith comes from knowing God, knowing what God is like, knowing His character. The biggest thing, if you can just know how much God loves you, that will do all, go take you a long way towards your faith in Him. But what this is going to tell us is what Abraham learned about God's character. What Abraham learned about God. So the first thing we see is Abraham has a promise from God. You've got to have some word to stand on. The good news is you don't have to have an angel appear to you to tell you something. You've got God's word right here. Everything in this word is a promise you can take for yourself. It doesn't have to have your name on it, even though mine has a whole book with my name. actually has four books with my name on it. Okay, never mind. Okay. So what did Abraham... Look at this in the sight, or in the presence of him who be, he believed, dash. What did he believe about God? What did he know about God? Number one, God gives life to the dead. God is capable of taking dead things and making them alive. I believe God loves taking dead things and making them alive. How do I know that? Ephesians 2 verse 1. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, God has made alive. You and I were spiritually dead. And God made you alive unto Him. So if God can take a dead soul, a dead spirit, and make you alive, God can take a body and make it alive. God has the power. This is what we're talking about tonight. What do we know about God? The power of God. What God can, what can God do? 
Because often we look at a problem and we look at God and say, I hope he can handle this. I've shared this story before with you. I don't remember if it was in this service or not. Um, years ago, we were out in, in Oklahoma, and we were at a prayer meeting or at a, at a, at a meeting with a, an evangelist, and he had a, a, the, the, the Spirit of God worked through him in some very strange ways. I mean, if you were in a healing line and he would come over to you, he might just touch you. And then we had a, a young man I know. He touched him, and he just started bending over backwards like this. I mean, he went all the way over. He could not do that in the natural a young man, another man who had broken his foot. Remember this? Yeah. Yeah. He just, he said, he, he, he'd sit in the chair and he held the foot out and he said, now keep it there. He kept it there for two hours. Now, you can hold it out there for a while, but two hours? When he told him to put it down, it was healed. So there were these kinds of things going on. So there's a prayer line, there's people lined up for this prayer, and he comes to somebody and they're in a wheelchair. And everybody's kind of laughing. He said, look, I want to light it. This is not, you know, don't get heavy on me. Just, you know, enjoy what the Spirit of God is doing tonight. And some of it was funny. You'd see him standing, somebody standing there, and they start leaning over this way, and they know they're not doing it. They start laughing. It's what was happening to them. And they come back up healed, backs healed. It was amazing the things we saw. And then they bring somebody up in a wheelchair, and they said, what's wrong with him? And they said, he has leukemia. The atmosphere changed. People were standing up going, Shandai, Shandai, you know, all of a sudden, everybody was trying to help God heal the leukemia. And he stopped them. Why? Because in our mind, leukemia is harder to heal than a broken foot. Because we think God is like us. Some things are harder than others. The only thing that's hard for God is getting through our dumb heads. The only creation God has that gives him any trouble is us. I'll never forget Lafayette Sales saying something. It just spun my head around. He said, the only thing that exists that does not instantly obey God is us, because he gave us a free will. So the first thing is he, he knew that this God who made the promise can raise the dead. It gets better. There's a second thing he knew about God. Not only can he raise the dead, but he can take things that don't exist. Now think about this. He can take things that don't exist and just with his words, create them. I mean, how did this universe get into existence? He didn't go to Lowe's and then Home Depot. He didn't go get an architect to draw up some plans and then send the angels out to gather some materials together, he just said, let there be, and there was. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds, and the worlds doesn't mean just this earth, it was all of this universe was formed by the word of God. Hebrews 1, 3, one I think it's one three says, for, for we understand that, that, that the worlds are held together by the word of his power, the expression of his power. So not only does that mean, think of this, I want you to think about this for a second. We're meditating together. Not only was all of this created by God's words, but the power of life, the energy, which is what physicists love. 
the energy of the universe is still generated by those words spoken thousands of years ago. Trees still grow and reproduce. Things still automatically do that by the power, the energy of that word spoken by God out over eternity. And we wonder whether we can trust His word. We wonder whether leukemia is too hard because we don't understand who God really is. But Abraham got a revelation of that. So the first thing is you have to have a promise from God. He did, as it is written. Second thing, he believed that God can raise the dead. And he needed to because her womb was dead and he was about there himself. And even if that's not true, God can create things. Was it, I think it was Christopher Alam I was talking to when he was here. And he was somewhere and he prayed over somebody that didn't have an eye and an eye grew in. I've heard of that happening. Teeth growing in where there were no teeth. Why would that be hard for God who created the universe with His words? But here's the problem. God needs our words to agree with His words. He needs our words because what you'll discover, and we may get into this at some point, is when you're a Christian, the words on your mouth are just as powerful as the words coming out of God's mouth when our words are His words. When Satan came to oppose Jesus out in the wilderness, this is so powerful, came to tempt him, what did Jesus do? He simply said, it is written. He didn't argue with the devil. He didn't say, don't you know who I am? He didn't say anything other. He took, spoke over the situation what God spoke over the situation. We need to learn to do the same thing. All right, let's move on. So that's what Abraham believed. Verse 18. Who, if I slip into the New American Standard, this, I have it almost, I have memorized from that. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. What's that talking about? Contrary to every reason to have hope. See, we, oh, this is good. This will be worth the price to come in tonight. We base our hope on circumstances. Well, a doctor comes to you and says, I'm sorry, there's just no hope. Well, where did he get that from? Did he just kind of feel like, you know what, Let's look, you look kind of hopeless. Or no, did he take the test results, the, the, the last seminar he went to, did he take the, 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 all the data that he studied and learned, and put that all together and draw the conclusion, well, based on the test results, based on our information now, I don't see any hope. That's the hope he was dealing with because if he'd gone to a doctor and she'd gone to a GYN doctor, they'd say, we test you to, it's not there. There's no hope. But contrary to natural evidence that there's no hope, in hope, he believed. So you need hope and faith together. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith gives substance to things 
hope for. Hope for is your dreaming. Hope for is a positive imagination. Hope for is I can see it out there, but it's not here yet, but I can picture it. I can picture that diploma in my hand. I can picture that kid, I don't know where he is, calling me and coming home. I can picture whatever it is I want. I can see it with my imagination. I can see it inside. And then faith gives substance to what you're hoping for. And of course, the classic example of that is the furnace and the thermostat. The thermostat has no power in it, but the thermostat sets your hope. Some of you want it cooler in here right now. Some of you may want it warmer in here right now. And so, but there's one thermostat up here that will tell you, that will tell the air conditioning units outside what to do. And I get to choose what it is, okay? (laughs) So the thermostat tells you what you want it to be, but that doesn't make it happen. You need a power plant out there. You need a furnace or you need an HVAC unit out there. To, to, but the thermostat tells you where you want it to go. And that's what hope does. But notice this. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believe, look at this, so that he might become. That order is just the opposite of what most of us were raised with and the way the world thinks. The world thinks seeing is believing. I'll believe it when I see it. That doesn't always happen. But in the kingdom of God, you have to believe it before you see it. Why? Because believing is what allows you to receive what God's already given. See, we saw God, as far as God's concerned, He's given them that Son and the other nations through Him. God's already given it, but it has to be received by Abraham. And this is what faith does. I didn't go there, but the verse before we started said, it's by faith so that it might be by grace. So faith is what allows you to receive grace. Grace is from God's side what God's given us. Faith is our part to receive it, but you can't receive it if you don't believe it's there and you don't believe it's yours. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For in order to come to God, you must believe that He is, that He's there, and that He's a rewarder of those that seek Him out. Literally is what it says. Okay. So in hope against hope, He believed. This verse turned me around because I struggle with this. Well, they're just telling me to... But, but it says you've got to believe in order to receive so that he might become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So he had to believe that. He had to have a hope. The hope came because God promised it. The hope came because of what God was able to do. So I'm stirring up your hope tonight. But the, he, the hope wasn't enough. He had to then apply his faith and believe that what God said was going to happen. Verse, verse 19. And this is where i got to explain something. And without becoming weak in faith. Now, when we studied Abraham as a hero, we went back and looked, well, that's not exactly right. He wavered all over the place in the beginning. And I, I refer to this verse to tell you this is God's testimony of him at the end. God's testimony of you is not how you got there, but where you ended up. Not being weak in faith. Now, the New King James says he did not consider his own body. The New American Standard in the English Standard Version says he considered his own body. Which is it? Both. There are two primary Greek texts from which all these translations come 
one of these primary Greek texts, which is known the Mesoric, you says he did not he considered his own body. The others' translations say he did not consider his own body. But I've looked it up in the Greek, and here's what it basically says: He looked at his body as if he was staring it in the face, and it made no difference. In other words, his body and her body, looking at it, didn't move him. That's what he's saying there. Be, without becoming weak in faith, where his body was, even though it was a, already dead, since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was dead, he wasn't moved by that. That's what it's saying. Kenneth Hagin and Smith Wigglesworth had this saying, which is so good. If you can just begin to build this in your mind, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by what I believe. And so you've got to talk to yourself. You've got to talk. We talked about that list. You've got to talk to the symptoms and say, I know the pain's there. I know the growth is still there. I know the bills are still there. I know and you're telling me it's never going to make it. But I'm not walking by. I'm not moved by what you're telling me. I'm moved by what God says. It's a choice we make. Already did since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's room. Oh, this is going to get really good. We're building up to the best part. You ready? Verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Let's talk for a minute about what unbelief is. There are different kinds of unbelief. There's an unbelief which is uh, that of an unbeliever, which sends you to hell, basically. You reject Christ. You don't believe He's the Son of God. You don't believe He died for you. That's an unbelief that says, I just reject Christ. But you can't be a Christian and have that kind of unbelief. But this kind of unbelief is primarily where we're more dominated by our senses than what God says. So most of these situations, and this is what we looked at last week when we talked to people and interviewed people, is there's a battle. Your senses are telling you one thing, and God's Word tells you something else. So the battle is, which am I going to believe? Sitting in church on a Wednesday night, that's easy. We believe God's Word. At 2 in the morning, <laughs> when the doubts flood into your mind, when the pain arrests you, when you get a call and there's a bad report, when that evidence comes bombarding at your senses, now it's a different matter to stand on it. I found out when I was going through the, all the tests and things for, for what I went through last year, we had to learn that when we were gonna, I was going to go in for a test or for a doctor's visit, I had to prepare myself. Because I realized with this, and this is actually something that Gordon and Debbie helped me with a long time ago. When you're going to go into their territory with their machines, those machines tell you something. When you're lying on a table and this thing goes, this four-armed device, which you realize is bombarding your body with radiation, is going, you can't just absorb that experience because it's all telling you something. It's bombarding your senses. So the way I handle that is I lay there in that machine speaking to the Lord, talk, quoting Scripture. And the technicians finally said, what are you doing? Because they could see me in there. And they said, your lips are moving. I said, yeah, I'm praying. Oh, okay, well, we figured that's probably doing something like that. I was reciting a Scripture about that this thing's not going to burn me, a Scripture my wife gave me. Isaiah 43, go through the fire, I'll not be burned, neither will the flame kindle about me. Every one of those treatments, I laid on that machine, and I quote, I was answering back the evidence that was telling me that something bad was happening to me. I answered it back because my mind had to hear what God said 
above what that machine was. Because machines will talk to you. Because the devil uses them. Well, you're going to die. You've got this situation. Look at the kind of doctor you're going to see. What does that mean? So it's learning to answer that. But you've got to understand where the battle is. So he does not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. What, what causes unbelief in most of us is we're so much led by, more led by our senses than what by God says. And this was the example we used last week of, of, of Peter and the other disciples on the one hand and Jesus on the other hand. That here's Jesus knowing what he's going to face on that cross and what's going to happen afterwards. And by the time he finished praying, it didn't move him no matter what they said to him or did. It didn't move him. He didn't open his mouth. He stuck right to the script of what he was supposed to do. The other disciples, they scattered like rats off a sinking ship. Why? Because Jesus spent that time in prayer. Jesus had, had, had this battle won. He did not have unbelief. Now, the good news is, if you struggle with unbelief, you have to have some belief to have unbelief. So you've got some belief in you. And the story that's so powerful, I don't have time tonight to go into the story, is the father, while Jesus and, the, and, Peter, John and Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured, the other nine are down at the bottom of the mountain, and a father brings his son that has a demonic spirit that's throwing him into epileptic seizures, brings him to his, his other nine disciples to see if they can cast the demon out, and they can't. Well, right away, you can't determine what God's will is by whether a prayer gets answered or not. Because there's nine of his disciples praying for that boy, and it didn't work. And when they brought him to Jesus, Jesus says, well, I guess it wasn't the father's will because he didn't answer those prayers. He says, no, bring him to me. And the father comes to him in one of the versions and says to him, he says, you know, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus turns to him and says, if I can? The issue is not if I can. All things are possible to him who believes. Why? Because the God you're believing can raise the dead and can call things into existence that never existed before. That's what God can do. That's what God wants to do. But what can you believe? So the issue isn't what I can do. The issue is what can you believe? And then so Jesus commands this demon to come out and the boy, instead of just quieting down, goes into a worse fit and, and starts spinning around on the ground. And, and the disciples are panicking. They're moving back because it looks like it's not working. And Jesus turns to the father and says, how long has this been going on? So he wasn't moved by it. He says, how long has this been going on? And the father says, since he was a child. And then Jesus commands the demon to come out, and now he drops like he's dead. And the other disciples are gathering around and says, he sure looks dead to me. He looks dead. But Jesus wasn't moved by that. See, Jesus wasn't moved by anything except God's Word. He wasn't moved by anything. Well, he was the Son of God. No, he had to renew his mind like you and I do. He just said he did it. <laughs> he spent time. This is where prayer is so important. Because when you're in prayer, you're in contact with God in the realm of God lives in. And things, things that look difficult to you, when you spend some time in prayer, they begin to fade away because you're looking and talking to the one who can raise the dead and can call things into existence that never existed before. You begin to look at them through God's perspective and not yours. Which is why prayer is so important. Praying in the Spirit's important because it's spirit stirring your spirit up 
Spending time meditating, thinking the Word, talking the Word are all things we're lazy about and then wonder why we struggle. And I'm talking to me as much as you. Okay, this, this, this is gonna, this, we're going to re- hit it now. All this is built up to verse 21. may not mean anything to you, but this turns me on. Why could... Go back to verse 20. Let's, let's pick, make a running start at it. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened or grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Why? Being fully convinced or fully persuaded. What? That what God promised, he was also able to perform. And this is where it hit me one day. Wait a minute. Abraham's not moved by the condition of his body or her body or their age. Why? Because when the God that made the promise can raise the dead and can call things into existence that never existed before, the condition of my body is irrelevant. The doctor's report is irrelevant. When the God who's your God can raise the dead, uh, we're not going to have time to get into it tonight, but maybe next time. Next week, of course, is a prayer night. Next time we get into this again, we're going to go into, into, into uh, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to see a situation where, where Jesus was coming to heal somebody, and he didn't get there in time, and the child died. And the report comes to him, say, don't bother the master anymore. That's what religious people do. They don't want to bother the master anymore. Don't bother the master anymore because your daughter's dead. What did Jesus say? Sorry about that. You know, I'm just, I'm sorry I'm late. I tried. I mean, we, we, intentions were good. Jesus turns around. I'll give you a preview. I believe in my mind, he grabs Jairus's robe and looks him in the eyes and says, man, fear not. Because you can imagine the fear that's coming on him when those words begin to ring in his ear. Those words begin to ring in his ear. Your daughter's dead, 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 dead. Too late. It's too late. You had the master coming. You had the answer. He was on his way and now it's too late because of this woman. He didn't get there in time. That didn't stop Jesus. The fact that she died didn't stop him because he said, I'll come and heal her. I'm getting into it anyway. But he said, I need you to fear not, and I need you to only believe. Keep your mouth shut and just come with me and believe. The second thing he did is he changed who was with him. And he told the other nine disciples, you guys stay here, everybody else stay here. You, Peter, James, and Don, you come with me. Jesus now needed people around him that he knew would stay with him. When you're in a battle of faith and it's a strong one, you've got to be careful who you have around you. You may have to get rid of some of your family around you and say, I love you, but if you want me, well, love me from a distance. Because they'll gather around you and speak all kinds of things. I've known of cases where somebody's in a hospital room and standing around the person, they're making funeral plans. Okay. But look at this. He was fully convinced that the one who promised him was able to perform. Why? Because he can raise the dead and call things into existence that never existed before. Now, three things here. First of all, he... God had a promise, made him a promise. Secondly, he had confidence, he was fully persuaded that God was able to do it 
because God can raise the dead and cause things that don't exist. As, uh, now, so there's three things. First of all, did God make a promise to you? Is God able to perform it? But there's a third thing we've got to decide. Does God keep His promises? Just because He promised it, just because He can do it, does He keep His promises? Well, we're not going to turn there, but mark down uh, uh, Numbers 23.19. Numbers 23.19 says, oh, I wish we had, we'll get into this uh, later. God, the most powerful Father, God is not a man. I mean, that's a couple of hours there. God is not a man. So, of course He's not a man. Well, yeah, but we think of Him in terms of a man. Because that's all we've known. We've only known people. So we've only known whether we can trust somebody's word based on our experience with people. And all of us, I'm sure, have had people that lied to us. Or maybe they didn't lie to us. Maybe they intended to tell us the truth, but then they changed their mind. Or maybe they didn't lie to us. Maybe they didn't change their mind. Maybe they just couldn't do what they promised you. So we've been disappointed by people. But those first five words are saying you can take all the experience you've ever had with human beings when it comes to God and throw it out. Because God ain't one of them. God's not a man. So you cannot decide what God's like by your experience with anybody else. He's not a man that he should lie. Nor is he the son of man that he should repent. John 17, 17 tells you why God can't lie. God can't lie. Even if he wanted to lie, he can't. Because John 17, 17 says, His word is truth. Truth is defined as whatever God says. My mother used to have this expression. She says, if I tell you black is white, it's white. Well, it wasn't. It was still black. But if God says black is white, it's white. If God says up and down, it's down. Or whatever way. So God cannot lie. Nor is he the son of a man that should repent. That just means change his mind. So God can't lie. God can't change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? Has he spoken it and will he not make it good? So not only can God do it, but God carries through on his promises. I think it's First Kings something 56. 856, yeah, that's it, 856. This is every word that God promised to Moses came, for, came true. Every word. I think it was Samuel who says, not one word that dro- came from his mouth dropped to the ground. God will always carry out his word. God, the problem is, we often get moved away from standing on that word because we get tired of it, because the devil's telling you, it's not working, it's not going to work for you this time, it's not going to work, which means God lied. Since God can't lie, it has to work. Now, sometimes you've got to have determination to hang on. And when we get into some of the stories of some of these people, we'll see that kind of determination. No matter what came to stop them, they would not be denied because they knew it was theirs. So the three things are, as we bring this to a close, first of all, you need to have a promise from God because otherwise you're believing on your own. But this word is full of His promises. Number two, you have to know what to believe about God. The God who makes the promise can raise the dead and can call things into existence. You need to meditate on that. What God can do. 
Just go back over some of the stories in the Old Testament of things he did. He parted the Red Sea. Had Jesus did. Walked on water. Had Peter walk on water with him. Fed 5,000 men, let alone the women and children. In one case, 4,000 men, let alone the women and children. In another case, with just a couple of lunches. Just multiplied it. None of that was an obstacle to him. Didn't slow him down. Think of what God's done. Think of what God's done for you. Go back over the thing. Just if you're born again, look at what God did to you. That didn't happen because you were so smart or I was so smart. And then the third thing is meditate on God. Can you trust his promise? He can do it, but will he? Can you trust his promise? Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your encouragement, your challenge, your strengthening us. We thank you tonight, Father, that we can depend upon you. The sun will come up tomorrow. We can breathe the air tomorrow. You're with us tomorrow, whether we feel it or not, because you promised to never leave us or forsake us. So if we wake up tomorrow morning, Father, and we don't feel your presence, you're still there. You're still in us. Father, everything you promised in this word is your will. You would not give us a promise if it was not your intention and your desire to carry it out. So the problem's never on your end. It's never because you back off. It's never because you change your mind. It's never because you can't do something. It's always on our end, Father. It's our unbelief. So we come to you tonight, Father, as that Father who came to Jesus with that Son. And when he said to Jesus, if you can, and Jesus said, it's not whether I can, it's what can you believe? That father was on enough, honest enough to say, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, that's where many of us are tonight. We've been around long enough that we believe that you care for us. We believe that you want to provide for us. We believe that you want to heal us, but we struggle with our senses and our unbelief. And Jesus responded to that man and met him where he was and delivered that young boy from that power of Satan. So, Father, tonight we ask you to come and to meet each of us where we are tonight. We believe, but help. Help our unbelief. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.